Hello and welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us for this special service. And I'm excited to be able to share with you today, wherever you're at. You know what? 2020 has been a crazy year. There have been ups and downs, but one of the good things about 2020 that we've been able to experience is the benefits of technology. It has been awesome to be able to join into church virtually, even when we couldn't meet together in person. And being able to see a little behind the scenes, I'm so thankful for the leadership of Pastor Jeff each and every week, for the way that Pastor Jason puts together these services, and for all of the volunteers that spend so many hours and so much time into making this happen. Well, if you don't know me, my name's John Gott, and I'm the Moon Campus Pastor. And I've been here for about two years now, and if you've never been down to our Moon Campus, I'll tell you what, we have a blast each and every week. We like to have so much fun. The people at Moon are just, just so loving, and we as we watch the services, you guys watch these messages on the screen. We've been doing that for years. So we try to like, hey, let's get a snack as we do it. And we'll, we'll have pop, we'll have candy, whatever that is. So maybe right now you're watching this and you're like, yeah, why can't I go get a, a snack? Go hit pause, head on, get a snack, and then come on back. We're ready to dive into Matthew chapter two today. Matthew chapter two. If you have your Bible, you can look at that. If you've got the Bible app, you can find us in the events tab. You can find Pathway Church's notes there and just follow along with this story. As we'd like to have fun, I, I want to really look at Matthew chapter two and look at our main characters. And then we're going to take a little field trip to one of my favorite places in downtown Pittsburgh and kind of unpack the story a little bit there. So, okay, if you're ready, let's go to Matthew chapter two. Starting in verse one, we're going to introduce our characters here. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So there we have it. We have our two main characters here. We have Herod and then we have the Magi. And we're going to look at their stories as it, as it relates to humility. And we're going to try to take their story and apply it to our lives. And how can we be challenged by them? And we'll have some fun doing it. So if you're ready, let's head on down. Let's check out this place, Pittsburgh. You're going to love it. in downtown Pittsburgh, right next to the U.S. Steel Tower at the Creche. Every year, this amazing nativity scene is set up, and this is actually the only replica of the nativity scene that's at the Vatican in Rome. And this amazing scene, we'll see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and off to the side, we'll see the shepherds. And remember the story, the angel came to them, and they were running, and they were so excited about seeing the baby Jesus. And then we also have some of the characters from our story today, the Magi. They were from the east, these mysterious visitors, and we're going to look at them in just a little bit. But first they went to Herod. And they told Herod, we want to see this baby, this king of the Jews. But if you notice in every nativity that you'll see, you never see Herod displayed. And we want to take a look real quick at why is that? So we'll see Herod mentioned a couple different times in the Bible, mainly around the stories of Christmas and Easter. But 
Herod at Christmas is different than the Herod that's mentioned in the Easter story. This Herod here in the scene that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 2 is actually what they call Herod the Great. He was known for his amazing architectural achievements. He did this amazing stuff where he wanted to be liked by the Jews. So he, he built the temple. He actually rebuilt it and built what's called the second temple for them. And he, he uh, made these little canals and these waterways so that the Israelites could have water to Jerusalem. And if you've visited Israel, chances are you've gotten to see this amazing fortress called Masada, which was built under the rule of Herod the Great. He did a lot of amazing things, which is why he was called Herod the Great. But at the same time, he was also, people think he probably had some mental health issues. He was so paranoid and he wanted to know, how do people feel about me? So the stories say that he actually would send people out into the town square and listen to conversations. What are they saying about me? I need to know. He was so worried about being liked. But the problem with Herod is even though he wanted to be liked, he also was power hungry. He wanted people to give him money. And so he taxed the Jewish people so heavily that he wasn't liked at all. And it's so sad because we see in the scene that he wanted to be liked, but when he hears the story of this king of the Jews, rather than being excited and being here at our nativity scene, he becomes paranoid. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit. Let's head back to Chippewa. So here we are back in Chippewa and let's continue to look at the story of Herod, right? Herod, in verse one and two, we see the introduction. The Magi come to him and they're like, we want to see this, this baby, this new king of the Jews, right? And then from there, Herod immediately, he wants to be liked. We know there's some mental health issues there. You see this paranoia come up in Herod. So a little bit later, you see, he talks to the, the Magi secretly. He says, hey, you know what? Go, see the baby, and then come back and tell me all about him because I want to go and give gifts to the baby too. So he has this whole plan. So the Magi, okay, they're ready to go. And we'll look at that in just a second. They go and they see baby Jesus. But this angel comes and it tells the Magi, don't go back to Herod. He's got bad plans. And he, t he goes to Joseph and Mary and he says, you guys need to flee to Egypt. Herod's got some bad plans for you. And Herod, we see as we go on in verse 16, it says, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And there it is. It's what's so sad about the story of Herod, actually. We don't spend a lot of time looking at it as we go through the Christmas story, but it really is sad because Herod, as the king of the Jews at the time, would have had access to all of this Old Testament scriptures, all of the prophecies about Jesus. And think about it, during that time, the star that came up, I'm guessing it didn't just appear to the Magi, I'm guessing that other people would have seen it, there probably would have been talk about, okay, what, what exactly is this? There would have been some, you know, you would think maybe he would ask some questions. And it even goes as far as he has these visitors, these magi from the east who come and show them we've been reading about this and we've heard about this. And instead of being excited, instead of being like, yes, let's go, he becomes paranoid. He becomes thinking, I need to get rid of this baby who's going to take over my job, who's going to take my glory. And you know, it's really a sad story 
for Herod because the the stories go that he actually paid his sister and brother-in-law. He he became sick and he paid his sister and brother-in-law. He said, when I die, I want you to kill a bunch of other leaders at the same time. He was so wanting to be liked. He knew that when he died, that people probably would celebrate a little bit because he taxed the people so much and he wasn't well liked. And so he thinks if a lot of people are dead, then they'll mourn and they'll mourn me too. Well, that's not the way it happened. As you see his story, Herod is so proud about what he's doing and all these accomplishments and he becomes so proud. And as he dies, he gets the sickness. No one knows, but every, uh, the, the stories say that he had the sickness that was really painful. And ultimately, he dies this tragic death. And all of this accomplishments, all this stuff, his sister, his brother-in-law, they took the money and run. They were out of there. They didn't do anything. People celebrated his death. And Herod, now, he looked at it. He wanted to be remembered fondly. As we look at the scriptures for the rest of time, he's looked at as the villain in the story because of the pride in his heart. But fortunately, That's not our only character that we're looking at today. We have the Magi who are incredible examples to us. So let's head on back to Pittsburgh and let's check out a little more of their story. So we're back here at the creche and we're talking about the Magi and we really don't know much about them. I mean, how many were there? Where did they come from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? And if you didn't get that reference, you should have been saying Cotton Eye Joe right after that. But the, the reality is we don't know much about the Magi. We don't know how many they were, but there are some pretty unique theories about who they were, how many, and where they came from. One of those more kind of Eastern traditions, so where it's not as well known to us, but one of these Eastern traditions looks at this story called the Revelation of the Magi. And in that, you hear about these magi who were monk-like mystics or maybe kings that came from as far away as China, which maybe where we get some of the, the, the tradition of the song, We Three Kings of Orient. But the reality is in this story, it talks about there could have been as many as 12 of them. But this story, the revelation of the Magi, it kind of gets a little weird because what they say, instead of this star, they believe, the story says, the star was like an illuminous baby Jesus that came and met them. And they followed this illuminous baby Jesus all the way to Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, baby Jesus was like, I'm a little regular baby again. And scholars are like, okay, that got a little weird. And Actually, it's one of those things like, oh, it could have been just a story, but a story founded in some truth based on the actual Magi. There could have been Magi who came from as far away as China. But the more Western thought behind this is that they probably came from Babylon or Persia. And it makes sense if they did come from there, because just think about what happened a few hundred years before this birth of Jesus. The Israelites, they were in exile. Where? in Babylon and then Persia came and beat out Babylon. So they could have had all of the documents, all that Old Testament writing and those prophecies we see, Babylon or Persia, they would have had that. And so these, these magi, what's, what's 
that from Persia or Babylon, they could have been like wise men or people who studied a lot. And so when they saw this star, they came to see what exactly is this all about. And so we see they come from Babylon or Persia, which is about 900 miles away. And so many times, like in this, in our nativity scene, you see the shepherds there at the same time as the Magi. But just think about it, 900 miles? They couldn't have been there that same night unless their camels had some sort of like lightning speed camels. But even then, what do we read about? We read that before they went to Bethlehem, they met with Herod in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like nine miles away from Bethlehem. So obviously, like, unless these lightning speed camels were like, yeah, we got to Jerusalem and then we got to Bethlehem, it probably didn't happen that same night. And then as far as how many are there, the ancient uh, sort of Eastern philosophy is that there was maybe 12 or more that came from as far away as China. For the, for the Persian or Babylon, that Western idea, we, we typically think of it and is pictured here as three. And it just makes sense, you know, because you have three gifts. I mean, just imagine you got the first guy who's like, I got gold. I get, the next guy's like, I got frankincense. Next guy's like, I got myrrh. And then if there was a fourth one, he's like, I got nothing. And he looks around and there's this little drummer boy who came out of nowhere. He's like, give me those drums. You know, it just, it, it just makes sense that there could have been three, but we don't really know. There's a lot of mystery surrounding them, but don't throw your, your magi away from your nativity scene quite yet because there's such an important part of the story and there's such an amazing example for us. And I just want to take just a few minutes to unpack that a little bit. Let's head on back to Chippewa. So we looked a little bit more at the Magi and we already know that Herod had this whole scheme and the angel came and told him, go back another way. But let's, let's see what happens in verse nine as they go and they find the baby Jesus. In verse nine, it says this, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, this is an incredible example to us because they were obviously wealthy. They obviously were smart and they were grown adult men and they see this baby, but they know the scripture. They've, they've been transformed by it. So they see this baby Jesus and they bow and they worship. What an amazing example of humility to us. You know, as we go through our lives, it's so easy to start looking around at all this stuff right here and we're on TV, oh, I want that, I want that. Or we start comparing ourselves to another person or we start comparing our job to what another job is. Or maybe we compare our salaries, maybe we compare our grades, maybe we compare our kids. I, I don't, we just constantly are comparing ourselves to one another. But the reality is the wise men, they look towards God. And in the greatness of God, the only thing that can happen to us is we realize how not great that we are. In fact, we see that a few times throughout the Bible. In, in Psalm 8, David says this. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? I imagine this scene, right? David's a shepherd out in the field and it's a clear night and he's out there and he's looking up at the stars 
And I don't know if you've ever been in this place where you're just like, man, you could see the Milky Way, you could see thousands upon thousands of stars. The only thought that you could have at that point is, how small am I? You know, and when you recognize that God is the creator of the universe and he created all of these things, you got to think, how great is God? And we see that with Isaiah. Isaiah, he has this thing where he's called up into the heavens and he's before the glory of God. And in the presence of the glory of God, he falls down on his face and he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. That is our only response when we come in contact with the greatness of God, when we realize it. And so often we spend our days focusing on right here. We look at what's happening. Like I said, we start to compare ourselves with what's here instead of turning our attention towards God and his greatness. You know, 2020 has been a crazy year. And I don't know everybody's story that's watching today, but I know some, and I know that for many, it's been a tough year. And in the midst of difficulties, it's easy to look at our circumstances, to be right here and to look at these things and think, why is this happening to me? Or there's, in good times, it's almost the same way. Things are going good. We're, we're doing good at our job. I, all of this, my kids got good grades. I got an A on that test, whatever it is. And we start to look at it here and look at how great I am when we fail to recognize the greatness of God in both circumstances. We become like Herod. Herod, he wanted people to be liked. And I'll be honest, I don't think that's all that strange. For reals, I want to be liked. But the reality is we start to compare ourselves and we start to set these standards of this is what I need to do to be liked. This is how to be cool and all this stuff. That's not what matters. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, we have this example that Jesus set forth for us. And he says, be, consider others better than yourselves. And what that means is we got to stop taking this focus off of ourselves. we got to stop this, start looking towards God, and see how we can be at work in this world around us. You know, there's this awesome story that came out of uh, the pandemic. Uh, you may have heard it. You may have seen it on the news. It's from Huntington, Pennsylvania. Uh, there's a guy, his name was uh, Scott McKenzie. And he was at Huntington, Pennsylvania. He was like a community college coach. And April hit, and they weren't going to have sports anymore. And like so many, he was furloughed. And so he decided, you know, I'm going to go back to work. We'll see how long. But I'm going to, I'm going to take up a hobby. I, maybe you took up a hobby. For me, I, I was like, yeah, I'll take up a hobby. So I decided I was actually going to start remodeling my bathroom. And uh, if you want to know how it's going, ask me in January. I'm hoping to be done by then. But Scott, he decided to take up the hobby of baking. And so he, he gets this cookie recipe and he starts trying it. He's like, okay, that's pretty good. And he adjusts it to his taste and he starts making these cookies. And he realizes, man, these are pretty good cookies, right? So he posts on Facebook, like starts to kind of brag on Facebook, like, hey, I make the best cookies. You guys got to try this, all this stuff. Well, his buddy Jeremy, he hears about it. And he's like, dude, no, I make the best cookies. And they go back and forth a little bit, and they're having fun with one another. You know, during the midst, just trying to have fun during this time. And it kind of gets this big Facebook following, so much so that they decide to have a bake-off. And they bake a bunch of cookies, and there's one judge, the mayor of Huntington. But they, they make a bunch of them. The mayor says, oh, you know, I'd taste some. And Jeremy actually won, but that's not the best part of the story. The best part is they decided to take their extra cookies, and they're like, man, our caregivers are 
first responders, they are so essential during this time. We want to bless them with cookies. So they started delivering cookies. And Jeremy was like, dude, I'm still not working. So he just was like, I'm going to just keep baking cookies. And he started this thing called Cookies for Caregivers. And he's even back to work now, and he's continued to bring these cookies to caregivers. And here's what's incredible. To this day, he's baked over 15,000 cookies, all because he stopped looking at his own circumstance, and he started looking out beyond that. And that's what humility is all about. It's taking the focus off of ourselves. And when it comes to God and our relationship with him, it's looking towards him. It's realizing his greatness. And I'll tell you what, when we realize his greatness, we'll recognize how not great we are. And so I want to challenge you today. Fairly simple. You know, we can't do a lot of things. There's not a lot of stuff open, but we can still go outside. And so I want to encourage you, if you're able, go off by yourself before this year ends. Get by yourself. Take your family. Take a friend just go somewhere in nature and see the greatness of our God. I, I'm from Southern California, and just this past week, we had a ton of snow. No lie, more snow than I've ever seen in my life. And it was the worst thing, having to shovel snow. But as I was shoveling the snow, I couldn't help but think, man, God created all of this, and he's in control of all of this. And it just does something for your perspective. And so I want to encourage you, we want to end this year out on a high note. And I can't think of a better way but to pause, look towards God, and recognize his greatness. And from that, true humility will come because we'll realize how great he is and how not great we are. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this year. I thank you for all the ways that you've been at work. Thank you for Pathway and each and every week consistently being faithful to sharing your word. And I want to pray over each and every one watching today that you would challenge our hearts, help us to recognize how great you are and to understand how not great we are. Lord, be with us as we seek to share your love with others as we turn the focus off of ourselves. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.